talking on this subject, Dad, I need you. Dad, I need you. As we open up this passage in 2 Samuel, we think about King David and his life and what he accomplished. And it was actually quite phenomenal what, what he was able to do. And yet, in the midst of all the work, in the midst of being king, in the midst of the large family that he had, there were some extreme challenges that King David, the father, had to go through. And then the reason we're going through this is the things that we're going to look at that David was challenged by are the exact things we want to make sure we nip to hopefully not go through some of the heartbreak and the tragedies that King David had to go through. Indeed, God said he was a man after his own heart, but on the other hand, David made some serious mistakes, some serious errors, some serious spiritual missteps, if you will. So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to be looking at a couple of questions just to get us started. Number one, I want to ask you this. What is your relationship with your father? And if we went through the entire room, it's going to be a gamut of different answers. Some of you have a wonderful, beautiful relationship with your dad. Some of you, unfortunately, have had much difficulty with your father. And what we're looking at this, this morning is, despite the things, whether good, bad, or indifferent on these subject matters, how do we want to move forward? Again, one of the key things about Union Grove Baptist Church is we are interested in what happened in your past so we can help you if you're struggling with something, but the key concept, and, and Paul reiterates this, the key concept in church work, the key concept in walking with God and having a good relationship with the Lord is to forget those things which are behind and we've got to press on. There's going to be failures, there's going to be missteps, there's going to be things that we do that we're not happy about or things that we've gone through that have been difficult, but the key issue is what are we going to do today? What are we going to do tomorrow to move forward? What issues can harm your relationship with your father? And that's pretty much where we're going to be spending a great deal of time throughout the message is some of the difficulties that even King David, an absolutely phenomenal individual, some of the missteps and problems that he had, which caused serious issues with a couple of his sons. Finally, what issues can harm your relationship with your children? Gentlemen, as we all know, we're not exempt from our children getting upset from us. We may do things, say things, act out some things that, quite frankly, they get disturbed by. They're upset by them. And it's like, do we want to permanently wreck a relationship with our children? And if we have gone through some difficult times, we'll actually see this in the passage. How do you restore that relationship? If it's gone awry, if it's gone sideways on you, is that redeemable? And might I say, I believe if we walk with God... Men, and if we do the right things, if we say the right things, if we act right with the Lord, every relationship is repairable. You say, no, you're wrong. It's, I've got one that's not repairable. I'll respectfully agree to disagree with you. I think God can change hearts. I think God can put uh, do anything within the human being, if you will, to change their heart and to change hearts of those that we might have offended or done wrong to. So what we're going to examine then uh, is what inappropriate, ungodly actions can do to a family and how to avoid those pitfalls. Father, I pray now that as we look at this scripture, Lord, it's tough. It's hard what we're going to be looking at this morning. It's very convicting. And Father, I pray that through the things that we'll learn that King David did, that Amnon did, that Absalom did, that Jonadab did, that will be instructed by those things, that will put our guard up, that we might not fall into the same traps or missteps. And then, Father, that uh, as King David at one particular point in his life had to get right with his own son. And, Father, I pray if that is the case in anyone's life here today, that uh, you'd help them to do the same. So, Father, we commit this time to you. Pray that you bless it. We ask that you do what you only can do, revive the saved and save the lost, 
in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we look at uh, uh, King David's life, and I just put up some of the key things that uh, King David was involved in. So uh, uh, back, he was anointed king by Samuel. Of course, he took the place of Saul, who was not exactly the best king on earth, first king of, of Israel. He misstepped quite a bit. And when Saul basically was thrown out and God took his position away, David was put in his place. Now, we all know the great story of David and Goliath. Uh, uh, actually, I've been to the spot where that took place. It's in, uh, 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 in Gedi down in Israel, and, and it's still there. I mean, the, the field's still there. The mountains around are still there. Uh, the little teeny tiny brook, I don't know what it looked like 2,000 years ago, but the brook is still there. There's still all the river stones and whatever that are there. Uh, which is surprising after 2,000 years of tourism that anything's left there. But uh, uh, King David, uh, David, he goes down and as a young boy and uh, attacks the, the giant and trusts God and does a great victory in killing Goliath, the hater of Israel. At 30 years old, made king of Judah. At 37 years old, made king of Israel. He just had a, a tremendous start. Everything was going exactly uh, as you would hope it would go for a man of God ruling in Israel and Judah. But unfortunately, there's an old saying, power does what? There you go. Power corrupts. And even though David had done some great things, even though David had started out on a great trek, David was subject to a sinful temptations like each and every father in here is. David looks out, sees Bathsheba, and we're not going to go through the entire scenario because that's not where we're headed this morning. But he looks down at Bathsheba. Now, David already had... He, bottom line, he had multiple wives. And he looks down and he sees Bathsheba, beautiful lady, and he brings her into his house. Oh, did I say she was a married lady? Uh, which she was. And David brings this married lady in, into his house, and he, and uh, adults, you can know where I'm going because I'm careful with children in the room. He lies with her. And Bathsheba becomes with child based on that. That was a huge mess up. And God was not pleased with what King David did, but it gets worse. King David, the man after God's own heart, commits adultery. Then what does he do? Well, Bathsheba, uh, Uriah, he's, he's out there fighting, fighting for us, right? Yeah, he's, he's in the army. He's like, okay, I'm going to get him to come home. And uh, I want you to do the same thing with him that you just did with me so we can cover up what just happened because she was with child. Uriah the Hittite comes home. And David says, hey, buddy, good to see you. Uh, go down and see your wife. What does Uriah do? If you remember the, the account, he says, no, 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 I can't do that. All my, all my fellow soldiers are out there fighting in the field. They're giving their lives. They're fighting. I, I'm not going to go down and enjoy my wife tonight. I'm not going to take pleasure tonight. And David's like, well, come on, man. Go down there. and No, I can't do it. So David keeps him around, and uh, he gets him to inebriate himself. And then he's like, oh, I'll get him now. He is his, uh, and, and by the way, why did David want to get him drunk? Because when men are inebriated they do things that usually in the normal state they're not going to do which is why God tells us to don't do that don't be drunk with wine wherein is in excess but be filled with the spirit so uh, uh, he gets Uriah he has a little too much to drink but Uriah still had his wits about him and he won't go down to his wife he's like I'm not going to have pleasure with my wife while others are out fighting for the kingdom David says, all right, now David, number one, commits adultery. David, number two, tries to cover up his sin. David, number three, calls up the, the generals of, and said, listen, take Uriah. I'm sending him back to the battlefield. Put him in the front lines and walk away. What? Put Uriah up on the front lines where the fiercest of battles are and then pull yourself back from him. What, what's about to happen? Well, King David plotted to have Uriah killed, and that's exactly what took place. Now he's got, 
he didn't he isn't the one that killed Uriah, but boy, he sure set him up, so now he's got murder on his hands. Adultery, lying, murder. King David. And God was very displeased with King David at this time, who was the one who he was said was one after his own heart. And God says, now there's recompense for what you've done, David. You're not getting off that easy. And that child is born to David and Bathsheba. And God says, listen, buddy, what you did was wrong, and now you're going to have to pay for it. And as you can determine whether you like it or not, but God said, listen, I'm going to take that child from you. I'm going to kill it. The child gets sick, and David mourns, and he's begging God and said, Lord, would you please save the life of my child? And, he, and he's uh, uh, just praying day and night, God, would you save my child, please? I know I did wrong. And God took the child. You see, folks, there's consequences for sin, and David had to pay dearly for that one, as did Bathsheba. Well, then we get to 2 Samuel chapter 13. Now, I want you to remember what's going on here. David was a mighty warrior, a mighty man of God, a man who was walking with God at one point, but he made some serious mistakes. Now, men, when we make serious mistakes and our children are there watching them, well, Daddy did it. Dad did it. It's okay. And we say, don't do as, uh, as I do, but do as I say, right? It's like, nah, you shouldn't do that, but you do it anyway. And we expect our children not to make the same failures, missteps, if you will, that we do. And this can go on a multitude of different platforms. Will it take place? We're going to look at a guy named Amnon, who's one of David's sons from a wife. We're going to look at Absalom, who is a son of David from another wife. And we're going to look at Absalom's sister named Tamar from the same mother, and we're going to see how this progresses and what takes place when we don't keep things in line and we don't train our children in the proper way. All right, so I'm going to be going through, as I stated, massive amount of material. I'm condensing it, so uh, if you got your Bible, we'll be popping through Second Samuel and one or two other passages to see what's going to happen here. Now, we're, we're going to look at one of the first issues here. We're looking at Amnon, a son of King David. Verse 1. After this, Absalom, the son of David, had a lovely sister whose name was Tamar, and Amnon, the son of David, loved her. Now, keep in mind again, Absalom and Amnon had different mothers, but King David is, is the father. Amnon was so distressed over his sister Tamar that he became sick, for she was a virgin. And it was improper for Amnon to do anything to her. So, and it's a, I mean, literally, he's, he's in love with his sister from a different mother. And he's just, I mean, he's so infatuated with her that he literally is sick. But Amnon had a friend. I want you to catch that. Amnon had a friend. And he's a rotten friend. Amnon liked him. He trusted him. But this rascal of a friend is going to tell Amnon some pretty horrible things to do. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab. Don't be a Jonadab. The son of Shimea, David's brother. Now, Jonadab was a very crafty man. No, he didn't work with woodwork. He wasn't a musician. He was a sneak. He was a plotter. He was a deceiver. And we're going to see what Jonadab tells Amnon to do because of his lovesick condition. Verse 4, And he said to him, Why are you, the king's son of all people, becoming thinner day after day? I mean, this guy, I mean, he had it bad. I mean, he was just absolutely over the heels for, for Tamar, and he didn't know what to do about it. Why are you, the king's son, becoming thinner day after day? Will you not tell me? So Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. So Jonadab said to him, here, here's what we're going to do. Let me do some of my conniving craftiness here. Let's figure out how to get you two together. So he said, listen, uh, 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 Amnon, lie down in your bed and pretend to be ill. 
And when your father comes to see you, say to him, Please let my sister Tamar come and give me food and prepare the food in my sight, that I may see it and eat it from her hand. Okay, that's, that'll get him in the same room. Maybe that's, uh, okay, let's see where that goes. Then Amnon, moving ahead, lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, that's good daddy. Amnon's not feeling good. And dad comes in, King David, and says, hey, buddy, what, what's, what's the problem? What's going on? And he said, daddy, I just don't feel good. And he's like, really? Well, what can I do for you? Well, Amnon said to the king, Please let Tamar, my sister, come. Make a couple of cakes for me in my sight that I may eat from her hand. And David said, uh, sent home to Tamar, saying, Now go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. Verse 8, So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, and he was lying down. Then she took flour and kneaded it, made cakes in his sight, and baked it. And she took the pan and placed them out before him, but he refused to eat. Now, what else did Jonadab tell Amnon to do? Because we're going to see it fulfilled at this very moment. Amnon said, have everyone get get him out of the room. Now, he's the king's son. He's got authority. People will listen to him. Here he is in his bedroom, laying on his bed, gets Tamar in there, makes the case which he could care less about. That was just part of the plot, part of the craftiness from Jonadab. He says, get everybody out of my room except for Tamar. Have everyone go out for me, and they all went out from him. Of course they did. It's the king's son. They obeyed him. Verse 10. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the bedroom that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them to Amnon, her brother, in the bedroom. Now when she had brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come, Tamar, lie with me, my sister. Say what? Where did he get this kind of nonsense thought from? Jonadab. Amnon had a friend. Hey, dads, what kind of friends do your kids have? You're like, oh, we shouldn't meddle with that. We got to let them do their own thing. Sure you do. And then you have this. Boy, oh, boy. Got to be careful. I told you this would be a hard one. <laughs> You're like, well, you know, my, I got to give my kids some freedom. Well, okay, to a certain extent. But uh, when they're hanging around the wrong crowd and the guy shows up and he's wearing a, a, a marijuana T-shirt, should be a signal. When he comes in or she comes in and they smell like smoke or alcohol and uh, they're dressed inappropriately and they're saying things which you know shouldn't be said. And it's like, well, we just got to let them work with their friends. No, you don't. You can set boundaries. Now, I'm not saying to to shun those who are not, if you will, Bible-thumping Christians, but you've got to set boundaries. And there has to be boundaries. And yes, we need to be friends with the unsaved folks, but we don't make them our best friends. I could go over and over and over the amount of young people that have dated unsaved individuals and their life was wrecked and ruined. Divorce pops in. Why? Because God said what? Don't be unequally yoked. Here we have Jonadab telling Amnon, listen, uh, 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 here's some good advice. No, Jonadab, this is horrible advice. And he gets Tamar, Amnon, his sister, into the room and he has to be inappropriate with her. And Absalom, and of course, I'm not going to go through all, all the passage because it's not where I'm trying to go today, but you know exactly what happened. Amnon grabs his sister after she says, absolutely not. She says, don't disgrace me. Call King David. He will, and this was back in the day, they would do this. She's like, listen, if you love me that much, talk to my dad, our dad, and he will give you to me. I mean, we can be married. We can be together at that time. And Amnon said, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not waiting for daddy's approval. I'm not waiting to be married. You get in with me, and we're going to do it right now. And she said, no, don't disgrace me like that. And he said, well, yes. And he grabs her, and he forces himself on her. And Tamar's life now becomes a train wreck because of Amnon's poor choice, listening to a bad friend, and King David not having, if you will, enough 
discernment to determine what was taking place here. The weird thing is Amnon, after Tamar gives him a hard time after he has his way with her, get her out of here, I hate her. What? He disgraces her. His hormone level drops, and he boots her out of his room, never wanting to see her again. Huh. Verse 20 of 2 Samuel 13, And Absalom, her brother, said to her, Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? Tamar comes out. She puts on a, a, a mourning-type clothes. She's upset. She's not in her proper state. And Absalom, who obviously loved his sister in the proper way, sees her in distress. But now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this thing to heart. Yeah, okay, okay, uh, Absalom. Easier said than done. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. Now this starts the massive downfall. Now we got a horrible thing took place. We have fornication that takes place with Amnon and Tamar. We have Absalom who's now going to take up a reproach for his sister. We now have King David who's going to get drawn into this and it's just going to keep going down, down, down because of improper training, of improper oversight, and now we're going to have a huge problem that's going to step in. And here we start it. Verse 21, chapter 13, 2 Samuel, but when King David heard of all these things, how do you think daddy feels now? He was what? He was very, what's the word? Angry. I mean, my children messed up. Now, these are adult children. These aren't little kids that did a, stole a cookie or stole whatever back in the day. We've got a serious issue. We've got immorality that's taken place. We have a rape that's taken place. We have incest that has taken place. We have a, a, a horrible situation, and Absalom is absolutely beside himself in hatred now for Amnon, his, if you will, stepbrother. And King David gets word of all this, and he's angry. I want to tell you right now, you can read chapter 13 through chapter 18, and it's not going to tell you one more thing that King David did about this situation. Not a thing. He's angry. Well, what good does getting angry do if you don't do something with it? Now, again, I don't know why God chose not to put in anything unless that's it. He just got angry. He was mad. He was upset. Well, what'd you do about it, Daddy? What'd you do? What'd you do to try and fix it? Well, let's move on. Verse 22. And Absalom spoke to his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad. In other words, he just kind of ignored him. He's like, all right. Absalom starts to plot. Jonadab did a plot, now Absalom's going to do a plot. How am I going to, how am I going to avenge my sister Tamar with that rotten scoundrel Amnon? How am I going to get back at him? So he just basically ignored him while he's thinking up his plot. For Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. And it came to pass when two full years, he's working on this plot for two years, very patient guy. And it came to pass after two full years that Absalom had sheep shears in Baal Hazor, which is near Ephraim. So Absalom invited all the king's son. Then Absalom came to the king and said, King David, of course, and said, Kindly note, your servant has sheep shears. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. Now Absalom had commanded his servants, saying, Watch now. Here's the plot. King David tried to stop it. He's like, Ah, you don't need all these guys to go. And he says, Oh, please, daddy, please, 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 daddy. I need your help, dad. I really like Amnon to come down and be part of this little party we're going to have. And King David says, all right, buddy, uh, I give in. Take Amnon with you. So now Absalom had commanded his servants, saying, watch now when Amnon's heart is merry with wine. Here we go again. Let's get him intoxicated. Let's fill him up with booze so he's not thinking right. And when I say to you, strike Amnon, kill him. Folks, do you, do you see a little progression here? Do you see a little bit of a problem here? Do you see a little bit of a pattern here? I mean, it, it, it's just there. And uh, I know it's really quiet in here today. I don't hear a whole lot of amens. And, and uh, it's like, ooh, this is kind of tough stuff. No, it's very tough, isn't it? It's not pleasant. It's not good. But, folks, these are the things that are wrecking families. These are things that will wreck church families. Folks, this is King David. He walked with God, and yet these things were taking place. It's tough. 
So what do they do? Well, let's pull out the bottle. We'll get him inebriated. We'll get him to where he won't be able to fight well. Strike him and then kill him. Do not be afraid of him. I commanded you. Listen, guys, be courageous and valiant to commit murder. They're going to commit murder. That's the plot. Kill him. Folks, you don't think that that happens today. If you watch the news and... Uh, of course, I watch Milwaukee County more than Racine or Kenosha. I mean, Milwaukee County, they got a 960-bed cap. It's been there for years and years and years. They're pushing over 1,000. They've got to find places where to put all the criminals. Why? Because the family's been wrecked. Why? Because daddies aren't training up their children anymore. Why? Because people reject God and they won't go to church. They won't come to Christ and folks, that's what our culture is doing. And this is exactly the same culture that was taking place in King David's home. And when I say to you, strike Amnon, then kill him. So the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose, and each one got on his mule and fled. Why? So Amnon, Amnon's there, and King David says, all right, guys, all my buddies, there he is. Take him out. And them being good little minions said, okay, we'll kill him. And they killed Amnon. And Absalom's like, victory! I finally got him. It took me two years of plotting, two years how to kill this guy. It's finally happened. I finally avenged my sister Tamar. Life is good. No, it's not. No, it's not. Because it's going to get worse. Absalom flees from his father, King David. David is, again, very upset with what's taken place. 2 Samuel 13, 34, Then Absalom fled, and the young man who was keeping watch lifted his eyes and looked, and there many people were coming from the road on the hillside behind him. And Jonadab, Jonadab, who is he? He's the scoundrel. He's the guy that told Amnon to do this in the first place, to go and uh, 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 lie with his uh, uh, sister Tamar. And now Jonadab, what a guy. If I was him, I'd run from the kingdom. But no, he's got to put his two cents in. And Jonadab said to the king, Look, the king's sons are coming, as your servant said, so it is. So it was as soon as he had finished speaking that the king's son indeed came. And they lifted up their voice and wept. Also the king and all his servants wept very bitterly. They're upset. Uh, uh, There's going to be a war now, literally, that's going to start between family members, between their big giant groups of troops that they have. And Amnon is dead, and uh, uh, David is beside himself, and a son of his was murdered, and he's not happy, nor would you be. Verse 37 Absalom knows that daddy's upset. Dad just lost one of his sons. He lost one of his children. Dads, you know how that would feel. Moms, you know how that would feel. Every one of us knows how, to some extent, how that would feel horrible. And David's upset. And Absalom knew that daddy was beside himself right now, and he wanted to avenge the death of his son. And Absalom gets scared, and he, he starts to flee. And he went to Talmai, the son of Amahud, king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son every day. Dad, why didn't you train your son in the beginning? Why did you fall for the nonsense when your son said he was sick and tried to get his sister into the room with him? Why weren't you more discerning? You're like, well, you know, it was such a good thing. I believe my son, everything he says, you know, he's been such a good boy. He's never done anything wrong before. And, and I just didn't catch this one. How many of us have said that after the tragedy hits? That's a good boy. He's a good girl. I, 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 I. Every time somebody kills somebody, you watch the news. Every time a, a, a crime takes place and the parents or the family members are, are uh, basically asked to give a comment, oh, I, I'm just so surprised by this. He's such a good boy all his life. He's such a good guy. She's such a good girl. Folks, the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The, heart, the Bible says the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Now, of course, you ought to love your kids. And, of course, you uh, have to give them a little bit of leeway. But, oh, my goodness, folks, when we, when we get loose, when we're not discerning, when we let our kids go into the rat's nest 
and expect them to come out smelling good. It's not going to happen. But Absalom fled. What else takes place? King David longs to restore his son Absalom. All of a sudden it hits King David. I've lost my son Amnon, but I also love Absalom. He's my son. It's his, it's his son. He loves him. Now listen, folks, when you look at what King David went through. Now some of us will say, man, you know, if my son ever did that, ah. Folks, you can't get rid of the love that dad has for his kids. You can't do that. You can get upset. You can get challenged by it. Uh, you can get, uh, oh, why did they do that? But King David loved his son. Despite the horrible things that had taken place, despite the murder that's taken place, King David still loved his boy. And by the way, folks, that's a good thing. When your son or your daughter does something wrong, when they go off the deep end, when they commit something they shouldn't have done, you don't give up loving on them. And I believe King David did the long, right thing. He says, listen, he longed to restore his son Absalom. And King David longed to go to Absalom, for he had been comforted concerning Amnon because he was dead. So, so it's been a, been a spell. It's been some time. And, and David has been able to breathe. He's been able to process the death of one of his sons. And now he knows another one of his sons is estranged from him, and his heart is to get back with him. So Absalom does return to King David's dwelling. Now, there's a long passage that goes through how all this takes place. But basically, Joab wants to bring Absalom back to King David. And uh, uh, they basically figure out how to do this. And finally, King David says, all right, Joab, go find my son. Go out and go out and get him and bring him back here. But don't let him see my face. Keep that in mind. Bring my son back to Jerusalem but do not bring him near me. Okay. And the king said to Joab, All right, I have granted this thing. Go, therefore, bring back the young man Absalom. Then Joab fell to the ground on his face and bowed himself and thanked the king. And Joab said, Today your servant knows that I have found favor in your sight, O Lord my king, and that the king has fulfilled the request of his servant. So Joab arose, went to Geshur, and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. And the king said, Let him return to his own house, but do not let him see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house, but did not see the king's face. All right. Now we get to the one good spot in this whole debacle that's been taking place. Absalom is returned back to Jerusalem, and Daddy finally says, Bring Absalom to me. I think I can see him right now. I'm not going to go off on him. I love that boy despite what he's done. And here's the good part. Second Samuel chapter 14, verse 33. So Joab went to the king and told him. And when he had called for Absalom, he came to the king and bowed himself on his face. Smart boy. They've been trying to kill each other. Absalom wanted to flee and to wipe daddy out. Now all of a sudden Absalom gets a clue. This is my daddy. Yeah, I did wrong. Yeah, I killed Amnon. Yeah, I plotted. Yes, I was terribly upset because of what he did to my sister. But Absalom now comes in before his dad, before the king, falls on his face. And what does the king do to his son? Some of you say he picked up a two-by-four and whacked it over his head. <laughs> that may be what he would have wanted to do. But he looked at his son, and what does he say? What does he do? He walks up to his son, and he gives him a kiss. The prodigals come home, the bad boys come home, and Daddy walks over to his son, embraces him, and gives him a kiss. Folks, this is the best part of the story, and it's not a story, it's an account. King David, I believe, did the right thing here. Yes, his son messed up. Yes, our sons and our daughters will make mistakes, they'll do things wrong, we'll get furious at times. But all of a sudden, they come home, they fall down before you and say, I messed up, I'm sorry, didn't mean to do that, shouldn't have done it. And you grab them, you embrace them and say, come on home. I love you. I'm not happy with what you did in the past, but we're going to move forward now. Let's rebuild your life. Let's move on. And that's a godly way to handle things when they go sideways. Let's look at how God would handle this. We go to John chapter 3. How does the Father deal with His Son, Jesus Christ? Wait a minute. The Father, God the Father, deal with His Son, Christ. 
The Father loves the Son. And of course, this Son was sinless and perfect. He has given all things into His hand. He who believes in the Son, Jesus Christ, has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son of God shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. You see, God loves you this morning. And God wants you to be His child. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, He's he's standing at the door right now saying, Listen, would you put your faith and trust in me? Would you place your faith and trust in what Jesus did for you through His death, His burial, and His resurrection? God's perfect love, God the Father's perfect love for His Son is the same example that we should have with our children. The Father loves the Son. And folks, that's exactly what God has asked us to do. Well, let's move on. Absalom comes in. He restores himself. This is a beautiful part, again, of the account. And all of a sudden, Absalom says, Hey, you know what? Uh, I think I should be king. What? Absalom begins to plot now against his own father, King David. Now, again, this takes several chapters, which we're not going to go through, but Absalom basically departs from dad. And he starts working the people, and he's very... The Bible tells us, by the way, he's one good-looking dude. He's a super good-looking guy. He's got this built-in, handsome charisma, and people are just... I mean, they're like, nobody in Israel is like this guy. I mean, this guy is something else. By the way, if you look at most politicians, uh, there are exceptions to the rules. Most of them are... I mean, they're good-looking folks. Now, there are exceptions. But uh, people like to vote for good-looking people. They just do. I mean, you, you watch the polls. You, you watch the, the contest and see what happens. It's amazing how often it's the better-looking guy or, or female that gets the position. Why? Because people are attracted to it. They don't care about the issues. They don't care about other things. It's like, well, they, they present themselves good. They got the best-looking suit on, the best-looking tie, or the best-looking outfit, and uh, it's attractive. Well, Absalom decides to rebel against his father, King David. After this, it happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. Now, Absalom would rise early and stand beside the way to the gate, So it was whenever anyone who had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision that Absalom would call him and say, What city are you from? And he would say, Your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. Then Absalom would say to them, Look, your case is good and right, but there is no deputy of the king to hear you. Moreover, Absalom would say, Here's his tricky part, Oh, that I were made judge in the land. He meant king. And everyone who has any suit or cause would come to me, then I would give him justice. Oh, that's a great campaign speech. And so it was whenever anyone came near to bow down to him that he would put out his hand and take him and kiss him. Oh, how many, what do politicians do? Hey, you got a baby, it's getting a kiss. You know, that's just the way it is. Well, Absalom made, made no exceptions, male, female, child, whatever. Whatever it takes, I'm going to kiss him, show him I love him. Wink, wink. In this manner, Absalom acted toward all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Don't be deceived, folks. Don't be deceived. Absalom was a deceiver. He was a good politician. Verse 7, now it came to pass after, wait a minute. What's the next word? Forty years. Forty years Absalom has been working to take the kingdom away from dad. Forty years. Yeah, I agree. It came to pass that after 40 years that Absalom said to the king, please let me go to Hebron and pay the vow which I made to the Lord. What was Absalom doing? He wasn't going to Hebron to pay a vow. He was going there to set up and become try to become king. Now, what else happens? King David... Wait a second. King, King, King David now is going to flee from his son Absalom. Absalom did a fantastic job. He was one super-duper campaigner. He gets the, a great amount of people to start following him. Now his own son's going to rebel against him and try and take his kingdom away from him. Now a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. And David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise, let us flee, or we shall not escape from Absalom. Do you see how this is going? 
Is this the way you want your life to go? I mean, it's just down and down and plod and messed up and anti-God, anti-spiritual, family being torn to shreds. Well, we're getting down to the end here. Absalom, uh-oh, uh-oh. Absalom, King David's son, is killed. Amnon, Absalom, Tamar, crafty Jonadab, all these things are now going to a horrible place. Absalom now decides to try and take the kingdom away. Absalom gets his group of soldiers, and all of a sudden war breaks out between King King David's people and Absalom. Then Absalom met the servants of David. Absalom rode on a mule. The mule went under the thick boughs of a great terebinth tree, and his head caught in the terebinth, so he was left hanging between heaven and earth, and the mule which was under him went on. Now, in another passage, it tells us that Absalom had, uh, uh, he just absolutely had uh, a super long, beautiful hair, and they cut it off once a year, and it would grow back, and, he, and again, he just, he had hair that many, uh, I love to have a little of his hair, not all that, but uh, uh, the bottom line is, I mean, he was just, he, he grew this super head of hair. He goes under this tree, and he literally gets caught in it. Well, wait a minute. How's this going to work out? Now, a certain man saw it and told Joab. Joab, by the way, is one of the commander of King David's army. And Joab wanted Absalom caught. King David had said, don't hurt my son Absalom. You go after them, you capture him, you bring him back here. Do you understand me? And all the soldiers said, aye, aye, Captain, we got it. So now a certain man saw it and told Joab and said, I just saw Absalom hanging in a turban tree. So Joab said to the man who told him, you just saw him. And why did you not strike him there to the ground? Why didn't you kill him? Don't you understand he's trying to take the kingdom away? Why didn't you kill him? Joab gets upset. But the man said to Job, now here's what was King David had ordered him. Though I were to receive a thousand shekels of silver in my hand, I would not raise my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing... The king said, what did he say? You and Abishai and Ittai saying, Beware lest anyone touch the young man Absalom. In other words, capture him, do not kill him, do not harm him, bring him back to me. Otherwise, I would have dealt falsely against my own life. Well, here we go. The end. Joab said, I cannot linger with you. And he took three spears in his hand and thrust them through Absalom's heart while he was still alive in the midst of the terebinth tree. And ten young men who bore Joab's armor. By the way, these, are, these, these guys are on uh, King David's side, by the way. They're like, I don't care what the king said. We're killing this guy. He's a, he's a, he's a sore. He's a cancer. And ten young men who bore Joab's armor surrounded Absalom and struck and killed him. Oh, boy. Amnon's dead. Tamar's defiled. Absalom is dead. Train up a child in a way he should go. When he was old, he shall not depart from it. King David mourns his son Absalom's death. So we have uh, two men come running up to King David to tell him the alleged great news. Just then the Cushite came, who's a runner. He's coming from the battlefield. And he says, King, there's good news, my lord, the king, for the Lord has avenged you this day of all those who rose against you. Here's the king's question. Is the young man Absalom safe? Is my son okay? I know it was a horrible battle. Is my boy okay? And the Cushite, Cushite answered, May the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise against you to do harm be like that young man. Then the king was deeply moved and went to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he wept, he said thus, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died in your place. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son see, men, that's the last thing. Ladies, it's the last thing we ever want to have happen to our children. Missteps, poor counsel, not holding accountability, allowing kids to do whatever they feel like they want to do will end in disaster. 
Folks, I'm not talking about being a mean, cruel, overbearing parent. I've watched those type of parents also, and we know what happens to their children when they get the chance to leave mommy and daddy. They leave mommy and daddy. They leave the church. They leave anything dealing with God because they're sick and tired of being pushed and forced. There are proper ways to do things. We haven't gotten into that. We can't due to time. But yes, accountability is right. And yes, loving while you're holding people accountable is also absolute. Children, every mom and dad was waiting for this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Not Jonadab's counsel, but God's counsel. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long in the earth. God makes it very clear. Whether you like mom, whether you like dad, whether you think they're overbearing, whether you think they're out of sorts, God's command. It's not a negotiable item. Honor your father and mother. Whether you agree with them or not, whether you think their counsel is good or not, whether you think their parenting method is good or not, God doesn't give you a sideways to get out of it. He says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long in the earth. You want to have a short life? Be disobedient to mom and dad. That's basically what he's saying here, Christian. And here it is for dad. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training, training. Go right back to the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6, evening, morning, noon, night. Train your children. Do not overbear on them. Train them in a proper and loving and good atmosphere. You know, you could be playing baseball and training your kids. You can be doing music lessons and training your kids. You can be sitting uh, uh, down having recreation or playing a game and train your kids. It's not, okay, we're going to sit around the coffee table and no one move. I'm taking out my Bible and I'm going to tell you what time of day it is. It doesn't work real good with kids. I just, it can work maybe a little bit at a time. But it's talking about whatever you do. When you're having recreation, when you're having fun, when you're out on the streets, talk about the Lord and His thing. So what should we do? And we're done. Parents, train and love your children. Ah, did you, okay. Can we loosen up for a minute here at the end? Did we catch some mistakes that King David made? Did we see some things that didn't go quite the way you would hope they would go? Can we agree on that? I mean, obviously, it's, it's heartbreaking what happened, and it's tough. You're like, it's Father's Day. I want to walk out of here happy. All right, we're working on it. Number two, if your children rebel, never give up loving and praying for them. All right, so they messed up, so they did wrong. It's not time to beat them up and kill them. You bring them in, and you love them, and you work with them, and you talk with them, and you help them, and you counsel them. Children of all ages. In other words, I didn't want to just use the word children because only kids... Uh, Six and below are going to listen. I'm talking about every single one of us that has a mom and a dad. Children of all ages, learn from and love your parents. You say, oh, my dad's 92 years old. My dad was 92 years old when he went to heaven. I still treated him with respect. There's sometimes I didn't want to treat him with respect. He could be an honorary old boy, but he loved the Lord. And despite the fact I didn't always agree with him, I always respected him. And the same with my mom, who I got along with a lot better, but she died 16 years ago. And I love my dad, by the way. He was one of my closest friends for my entire life. Everyone, what can you do? Strive to never rebel against God's Word. Finally, and I know, Trevor, you, your prophecy has come true. Here's the last thing. Some of you in this room right now, if you died right now, you have no clue if you go to heaven. Maybe you've gone through some of these horrible things that you've seen. But you know what? Jesus Christ, God's Son. Jesus Christ, God's Son, loves you. And the greatest thing that you can do is receive that free gift of eternal life. But God demonstrates. What does demonstrate mean? It means He shows us. He, he, he went out there and He did something. But God showed us. He demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He said, Amnon, Jonadab, whoever, you had messed up. But what did Jesus Christ do? He said, I don't care what you did in the past. 
Yes, was wrong. Yes, you're sinners. But I came to give my life to pay for your sins that you might go to heaven. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. What will you do with Jesus today? Listen, I know it was tough. I know there's a lot of things that we just went through. There's a lot of lessons to be learned from what we just did. Christian, can we walk out of here and say, all right, that was kind of tough. It's kind of hard. There's a whole lot of things that went sideways in that, in, that, in that account. What are you going to do to make sure it doesn't happen with your family? If you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, I invite you to do that right now. Father, thank you for your love for us. Lord, uh, again, I thank you so much for our fathers. And Lord, if we didn't hear things like this, if we weren't warned, if we weren't on our guard, if we didn't see the potential pitfalls that can stand in our way, Lord, we just walk down the street, fall off a cliff, and never know the difference. But Father, I pray that through the preaching of God's Word this morning, through the horrible things that took place in this family that were accounted, that Lord, you'd help each of us, dads, moms, children alike, not to fall into the pitfalls that we looked at this morning. Help us to walk with God and to be a blessing. Help us to raise our children in the right and proper way. If it's you this morning, if you haven't been raising your children in a godly way, in a proper way, and training them in a right way, how about making a commitment to the Lord this morning to change that? Children, are you honoring and obeying your mom and dad? Are you putting them up where they belong? That can be people of all ages. Do you love mom and dad? You say, well, they've done horrible things. Well, would you forgive them? Would you ask the Lord to give you love for them? Right there where you are, ask the Lord to help you love them and to honor them. Finally, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, we just told you the gospel. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Not a single one of us deserves to go to heaven, but we all deserve to go to an awful place called the lake of fire, Revelation 21.8. But Jesus Christ, God's Son, came down from heaven, died on the cross for your sins, was buried, and three days later rose from the dead, 1 Corinthians 15.3 and 4. And God holds out his hand to you this morning and says, listen, would you place your faith and trust in what Jesus did for you on the cross and paying for your sins? You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can only accept it by faith. For by grace, God's free unmerited gift are you saved, saved from sin and saved from the penalty of sin. And it's not of yourselves, it's by faith. And it's the gift of God. Right there where you are, would you receive that free gift this morning by placing your faith and trust in Christ? Did you do that? Well, I hope you did. And if you did, we're just going to say a quick little prayer, a prayer of thanksgiving. The prayer doesn't save you, it just documents what you did in your heart by receiving Christ. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And I know I don't deserve to go to heaven. But this morning, by faith, I place my faith and trust in what Jesus did for me through his death, burial, and resurrection. And I understand that Jesus paid my entire debt for my sin. And by faith, I'm receiving that free gift of eternal life by placing my faith and trust in what Jesus did for me.